0: Look, it has. Look, there's a human pyramid, a blacklight finale, a violin orchestra. What else has that? It has everything.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the Spawn of Me podcast. This is your host, Khalif Adams. This is show 62. I'm joined this week and every week with my dude, my boy, that guy from Chicago, Mister Handsome himself, Cicero Holmes. How are you doing, sir?
2: The most beautifullest thing in this world is C I C E R O.
1: If there were so many places to throw up, I would have thrown up in all of them. Because that was disgusting, yeah, yucko.
2: You know, I'm 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 here. I'm here. I'm excited. Um, you know, I'm ready. Ready to make the magic happen as I am every week. That's
1: true. It's true. You do bring the magic. You are the David Blaine of the show. Hey, so that's what happens. You know, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. You, Pick you this can card. Make, you can... <laughs> yeah. I, I still I still think that that man has sold his soul.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just oh, going to say. It. I mean, it's, cl- it's, it's definitely clear. He's dope, <laughs> though. Yeah, he is. He, he's amazing. He's yeah. amazing. Well, you should be that amazing when you sell your soul.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, tangent tangent begun. Thank yes,
2: you. exactly. Welcome Tan- to Bricogba. Welcome
1: to <laughs> uh, We're also joined this week yes. with our Minister of No Finance. He's the one. If, he, if we were Scrooge McDuck and we jumped into our coffers, there would be nothing and we'd hit our heads. Right. But he would because, be the person to manage all that air. Right. Yep. <laughs> Shreve Jackson, how are you, sir?
3: I'm good, but I will say that the vault will be full of plenty of Monopoly money, so oh, okay. uh, you'll be swimming fine, man. It'd be all kind of pink bills and blue bills <laughs> and green bills. Well, it would, it you'll would be, be just fine. It would fine.
2: be like we, we lived in Europe, you know, in some random country in Europe. So That's true. Because their money is colorful as shit. Like, it always looks fake.
1: Did you hear that they're trying to maybe, maybe, maybe put Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill? Word. yes i did
3: hear that and there's like some yeah.
2: it's like
1: uber craziness because people are like no and other people are like yes it's it's terrible it's a weird conversation that's happening but it's i'm a like very I'm, weird one. i'm pro harriet on the 20 i think that would be dope.
2: i mean if if is it gonna be harriet your cat no oh. <laughs> <laughs> so so kaz one of kaz cats is named harriet <laughs>
1: we do have civil rights cats in our house. Yeah, we have civil, Harriet yeah. Tubman and, and Rosa Parks. And Rosa. Uh, so they they are um, both running around here somewhere, right. hopefully not making too much noise while we record. Right. Um, if, if
2: if it is gonna be Harriet Tubman though, um I want to see Harriet Tubman with a shotgun. That's the picture that I want.
3: That's what you want. Yes. Just just like aim directly out and <laughs> right. holding the bell. I'll kill you just, dead before just, I let you
2: go back. To the slave owners, um, you know, one of the things that Harriet Harriet Tubman said um, was that she freed a thousand slaves, and she could have freed a thousand more if they didn't realize that they were slaves. Um, mm. So yeah, so I think Harriet with a shotgun is is a is a dope okay. thing. That's you that's never really know; dope.
1: it might oh. happen. I think that that would be the craziest thing to happen yeah. in Amer- in like American <laughs> currency, in God knows how long. Yeah. What,
2: a black person on a bill? I'm not, saying not a slave. I'm saying.
1: I, yeah. I mean, if you look really, really closely, you can see one black person trying to push a, a, a stone up the pyramid. Right. But that's about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. That's uh, the
3: Illuminati stuff, man. Yeah, on the yeah back, right. Man. Come on. Hey, anything but that I'm gets not, anything
1: not. that gets me closer to Jay-Z and Beyonce. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: but, but but I'm not no, nah, man. I mean, thanks thanks for having me on, y'all. As usual, I love being on the show and um looking forward to an- to another good one. We another love we love one,
1: having you, you on, uh, especially when you talk about your Nintendo stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
3: spoiler alert. Platoon.
1: Spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Um so we have to quickly thank everyone for listening to the show last week. Uh we have to definitely thank Aaron B of yeah. Game Enthuse. Game Enthuse podcast is definitely dope. You should be checking that out every week and subscribing and giving them all of your time, money and effort. Um, so thank you to Aaron. Uh, we had the most nuanced discussion about the black head nod. Yes. That has Ever been on any podcast of all time.
2: That is correct. That's why we are the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> it was an, it's it's funny. About head nods.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was funny because it had nothing to do with gaming, but it, the conversation that we had afterward today, since the episode dropped today, um, we we're recording a little bit early uh, for good reasons. Um is kind of interesting is it like brought up a lot of folks and a lot of different versions of what the head nod is and some historical reasons why the head nod is important and i did not know that it was such a nuanced conversation but it is mm-hmm. It's the testament to how dope our, our community of brocago is so absolutely absolutely word i would say uh i think it's time to intro our amazing guest uh for this week yeah we have uh, an exclusive I feel like we should do like one of the old school 90s burm,
2: burm, 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 burm. we should do like
1: a clue Cluminati. <laughs> clue clu-
2: clu- 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 right. Right. <laughs> exclusive right. get ready get ready y'all huh.
1: this is when Fla- you're Fla- Master not Flex ready would, would come you're through you're not ready for this like the worst Kool-Aid man of all time <laughs> <laughs>
3: and bust through doors <laughs> right just bust through doors right. Hot
1: 97
3: right yes
2: <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, you, you know, uh, so I'll say this. Um, Kyle, when we when we sat down and we were talking about, you know, our legendary list of guests um, and and we we said, you know, who are the people that we want? Um, you said and guy Kroll. You said Evan Narciss. You said Jeff Kanata. You said Adam Sessler. Um, and and. We've had most of those people on except for uh, N-Guy. Um, what you doing, N-Guy? You know, get at us. Um, but uh, one of the other people that you said was the guest that we have right now. And um, not only has she been a she she has been a legendary person in terms of being a person of color uh in the space being really outspoken about being a person of color and and um being marginalized and and really representing and 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 you know being a vanguard for for marginalized people in in the gaming space um but she's been a fiery and enigmatic one as as well and um we've We've uh, really been trying to make this happen. And recently, she had a lot of new developments that took away some of her time. And we tried through the back channels to make this happen. And we finally did, um, all the way from across the pond. It is our pleasure to introduce Bricago to Ms. Lee Alexander. Lee, how are you?
0: Hi! Thank you so so much for having me. That was that was a great intro. I really I really hoped that we would go full on behind the Hot Nine Seven intro, but um, no, that- <laughs> no, that that was cool. Um, it's it's really great to be on, and um, I don't know. I guess it's it's funny to be perceived as having talked a lot about my heritage because um, I hadn't really until I guess just a couple years back. But I don't know, like. I don't, I don't know i didn't have I did not have a lot of words to talk about it because I don't know, like when I first started writing about video games as a woman and as a mixed race woman, I had the idea that like maybe the demographic that I'm from shouldn't make a difference and that I should just you know write about games that I liked, but you know it became became hard for me to do do that um it, yeah, that just it became harder to do, and I realized that by doing it in a more outspoken way I could also um help other people but um yeah that's that's something i care a lot about so thank you for recognizing that
2: oh, absolutely yeah. yeah we we see it we see it straight you know right right in the forefront it it definitely makes our uh, our ears stand at attention when someone says hey i'm you know hey i'm 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 black and i'm a woman and you know i'm not going to shy away from those things as i talk about this other thing that i'm passionate about because all yeah. of those things are connected
0: Absolutely. And like, you know, I didn't you know, where I grew up, like, I've never, I've never said that, um, I'm black. Be- I mean, my sister's very dark, but I've always passed for, you know, like white or for mixed where I go. Right. People, I, I get mm-hmm. the like, what are you? Mm-hmm. And like, but where, <laughs> but, but even in, even in New York, people are like, where are you from? And I'm like, I'm American. Like, yeah, but, but where are you from? Like, what are right. you? You know? so mm-hmm. I've gotten that. My sister got, um, like negative racial treatment where we, where we grew up, um, just cause she's colored, she, her coloration is a little different from mine. Um, but like, there, my, where I was from was not very diverse. And my family was, um, was pretty unique. And then for geek culture to be a place where I was still different, like my, my safety from being different was still a place where everyone was different from me. And right. I didn't know, right. I didn't have a diverse base of friends who played games or who did geeky things together. Um, and so it's like, I guess it took me until I was at least twenty five, twenty six years old, and get on the internet. I'm like, wow, all kinds of people actually do this, and all kinds of people should get to do this, and this is not a thing where anyone should feel like they're not welcome. So right. yeah.
2: So you know, I, I think we wanted to start by by talking about uh, about Off World and everything that you're doing there, and and sure. kind of congratulate you on that. But um, uh, what I was going to say is that one of the things that we wanted to to talk about. Was uh, your racial identity and and how you know how that worked uh, growing up? I've read a blog post that that you wrote that was super wonderful. My twerking um, post. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, again, like right. I, I've said, you know, the way that I use my body is complicated, and the way that I, I interact with music and with community around music is complicated. But again. Sure. You know, we were talking about one of our favorite songs uh, before we started recording. And if you get the, you know, sometimes I forget, you know, about the rules that I've made about that interaction. (laughs) 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 You know, sometimes things start moving on their own. I don't know.
2: (laughs) So, so if, if I may. Sure. Sure. Where, where, so you know, like you said that you you've always passed it as as at the very least biracial. Yeah, um, you never really self identified as being black, um, and uh, I Cause guess because I feel that plus, I, I
0: feel that I have a privilege. You know, I feel that I'm not right. treated as, as a black person would be treated. I feel that I'm treated with okay. privilege. Um, right. And okay. What. And when I talk about my background, you know what? Yeah, I feel I feel like I'm not, I'm treated with privilege. And when I do talk about my background, my friends are like, "Oh, really? Wow, I had no idea." And like right,
4: right. even
0: that, <laughs> like I'm like, right. "Why? Why wouldn't you? You know what? What did you assume? I don't know." Right, um, right. So for me, I almost have I have a different problem in that I don't get to participate. I've never had the opportunity to participate in any aspect of blackness in America. But I am there's a barrier that excludes me from whiteness as well. Um so mm-hmm. it's, it's been weird. Yeah,
2: now do you, yeah. do you do you do you feel like the black community, the black community in, in quotes, um wasn't accepting to you and, i didn't and have didn't any i didn't know you? any
0: black people no where, okay. where we grew up right. was so white my dad was the only black person that i knew you um, grew up in
2: massachusetts right yeah Worcester, yeah. or
0: um in 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 a town called holliston and and in medway where okay. i went like there was maybe like one or two um right. black guys in my school right. and you know yeah i just and you know i was weird and so i had, tr- I had trouble making all kinds of friends so i i didn't really I have the resources or the ability to reach out and, and, you know, so by the time I was older and living in New York and when I was surrounded by people of all different backgrounds, you know, like now I have friends from all backgrounds and everything, but it took it sure. took me, I think, a long time to have um, any access to other experiences besides the like homogenous white suburban one, you know what I mean? Right. Which I guess is, I think is probably pretty common. In America. And then, yeah, like, you know, I, I, now that I developed friends with all kinds of backgrounds, there's a way that, you know, privileged people are taught that, you know, we might rightfully so taught that we have to um, recognize and understand black experience in certain ways and that we can't be appropriative or make assumptions. And, you know, I didn't get any kind of clues or tools from my father or from my family about you know what I was or what experiences I did and didn't have a right to so it wasn't a question of people not welcoming me it was you know me wanting to make sure that I'm as an adult now learning to access my heritage but doing it in a way that is respectful of experiences that were not mine does that make sense
2: no, absolutely totally makes sense yeah absolutely yeah so makes it's sense. Like, and it was beautifully said too
0: thank you like my father was so my father actually it's an interesting story i don't know if you read my piece um you might have learned a little bit about him that he was a technology journalist um the same as me uh right. he put us through school and bought my family a house writing for newspapers in the wow. 70s and in the 80s and he he didn't talk to me much about racism but occasionally um he he he, ba- he didn't talk about racism he didn't articulate his experiences to me but there was a giant chip on his shoulder virtually all the time and they, to be honest <laughs> to be honest <laughs> there still is and it took until my adulthood to understand you know where it came from why he would get mad Uh, at certain types of compliments that he would get from his colleagues, like, (laughs) oh, like, oh, you speak so well, well, or, you know, like, when did you come here? You know, and and of course he was born, he was born in New York. And, uh, so I know that, you know, based on what I, what I experience and what my friends and colleagues of color from other, you know, from marginalized populations experience in technology today, I know that it must have been tough for my dad. Um but
2: exactly in the but, 70s yeah
0: exactly and but i don't yeah. think his generation you know he came from his dad was uh from the military um his generation did not you know we're we're from a generation about feelings and empathy and talking openly right, about right. about justice <laughs> in emotional terms and i don't think right. i don't think he had access to that and he didn't equip me with it and i honestly i, I think i had a lot of confusion um for my whole life mm-hmm. about who i was and where i belonged and, and what kind of language I could use and what kind of language I couldn't and where I belonged and, and stuff like that. And, and I think for, in a way, trying to become in, you know, in whichever way I can, a responsible member of the activist community in my little way in little video games is kind of, it's helped me make peace with feeling that um, absence you know, throughout my life, that absence of race in my life. Like now mm-hmm. I have, you know, now I'm, I'm able to meet more people that I have things in common with and people who are empathetic to my background. And I get to understand that my story is something that can be told too. You know what I mean?
4: Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been, it's
0: been, it's been a process, but yeah, I think that's one of the reasons my father's experiences are one of the unconscious drivers of why I do what I do in the field that I'm in. Sure.
2: Absolutely. Well, yeah. Thank, thank you dad for us because, uh, <laughs> Because your your voice was was uh, desperately needed in the space.
0: Thank you. So, Thanks. I think he so. might be he might be proud, happy to hear that, <laughs> nice. or he might just go, "Oh, shut up, kid." <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah.
2: Your your background and mine are are somewhat similar in in so much that. Uh, my mother came from a uh, family that was a military family, yeah, um, also taught to not deal with emotions um, and and uh, you know a- as a result, i was I was led to both embrace my feelings and then learn also to shut them off completely. Yep. Yep. Um. And, you know. And and only access them when I need to in the yep. in the silence and the solitude of of my closet or bathroom. Um. And then, I have and, I, you know, I want to know what you think of
0: this theory while we're on the subject. I have a theory sure. that a lot of people are like you know because a lot of people like games like more and more people like sure. to play video games than ever. Yeah. But folks like us who are really devoted to it in this way and have a lifelong right. relationship with it, I wonder. I I sometimes believe that games are a coping mechanism, not only for alienation, but for a very particular kind of alienation and their ways of controlling the way that systems interact with us. And um, a lot of folks that I get to talk to who are super into games the way that we are have similar backgrounds about not having responsible or healthy um, models for emotion or social issues when they were kids. I don't know. It helped, helped us cope. That's totally yeah. a coping
1: mechanism for for most of the people who I know who exactly fit into that mode. Like I know video games for me, I was raised, you know, my both my parents were on drugs and never really raised me. My grandmother took me and she was the one who pulled me out of that and, and raised me since I was born. And so you have this weird juxtaposition of like. How do you kind of figure out where your kid is supposed to be in the space of all those things that are happening? Plus the dangers of living in the Bronx in the 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s of being outside with all the craziness that goes there. So video games were both a safe haven and a means of keeping me away from danger. You know, so it's like having all those things combined and put together. Plus, you know, my my, my grandma, I love who I loved was too busy working to make sure that she had all the emotional space to do all the things that she needed to do no. to make sure that I was an emotionally stable person. Cause she was too busy doing all the things that parents do or yeah, a it probably single was parent. was a lot for does.
0: her, a lot for her to carry as well.
1: Yeah, of course Brief. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I definitely agree with the uh, theory and I think, you know, there's pros and cons to that. I think that the extreme con is, I do think that's where a lot of the, gamergate and all this stuff kind of comes from where they feel like they've crafted this world that they can control and understand and that you know people are trying to interject things that like change it but i think that the pros to it are you know are what um everybody talked about now is that you know if if your life is going a certain way that it does give you this this like space for like creativity for for optimism and to be honest for sometimes just Getting out some some aggression, oh, sure. right. um, and like all that stuff. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely on board with uh, that theory.
1: Yeah, cool. it seems to be one of those things that if you really dig down and drill down into people's psyches and see why they game. It's one of the most interesting conversations you can actually have. It's one of the ones that, you know, you say, hey, you know, why do you like this particular kind of game? You know, it makes me feel powerful in the space that I'm in. It makes me mm. feel like I'm, uh, I'm I'm interacting with things and have con- have control over things that I usually don't have control of in my real life. And it, I think it's the biggest reason why we're so excited for <clears throat> for what you've been doing in the space and for off world in general is because it gives a lot of those people who have never had the ability to have a space a room that they can go to a place that they can hear conversations had that you wouldn't hear in other places. So, you, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when we decided and we really wanted to have you on, especially after the, the, uh, the launch of off world, we said, you know, there are not a lot of conversations being had like this. You is, is, is some, yeah. I mean, it's the conversations aren't being had in that way. Um, no, I mean, you, there,
0: there, there has been a long-standing games criticism blogosphere Um, And there have been marginalized folks doing um, important work uh, in games for years. Uh, For several years, there was a site called The Border House, which, you know, tried in its way to highlight um, less populations that are less heard of and stuff. But, I mean, for me, I kind of, I had the vision of an alternative gaming site that, you know, treated the fact of our um, alternative experiences as normal. So that one of the things that I hope to do on Offworld is not publish people's essays necessarily just about them being black gamers or about them being woman gamers or about you know a lot of people um for a while i think maybe some people would only be listened to about their alternative experience whether that was race or disability or gender if you know they put it in a video game article you know it's like but i'm like why can't we just have this person talking about the things that they love um and you can't speak from any perspective. You can't possibly have any other perspective than your own. So even if right. you're, yeah, if you're writing from an honest place about something you love, you know, yeah, that's going to be a woman's perspective. That's going to be a black perspective. That's going to be, right. you know, um, any kind of perspectives that aren't us- usually heard from. And we don't need to, you know, we don't make the have to make the fact of our supposed difference the story because I think the, the point is we're not any different. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. not... Right. Or you know, or we, or at least as worthy of a platform as anybody else. So sure. it's like, yeah. it's tough with um, off World now because you know we're small and we're still growing. It's Laura and I doing most of the work, and we're both like cisgender, able-bodied, white women. Um, and I'm trying, you know, to um, find new voices and, and dif- different types of backgrounds and, and, you know, without, like, fulfilling it, without, like, checking off a quota of, okay, have right. I got this type this month, you know, but, <laughs> you know, trying to make sure that the dominant, that there's no do- one dominant voice on my website, and if so, that it's not just another, like, nerdy white dude on the couch with his buddies, you know what I mean, with the same right. type of storytelling, uh, the same type of narrative around games. So, yeah, I, I'm i trying to do it in a mainstream and a populist in an accessible way um, and make it something that... You know, anybody who likes games... even So you don't have to have, like, a real hardcore gaming literacy that anybody who likes games even a little bit can find something for them on my site. Because that, that's important, too. I want... I I don't believe that games should have the type of gatekeeping that they've traditionally had. And that's not just around race and gender and class and stuff, but it's also around, um, you know, you need to be hardcore. You need to have played all the games. You need to keep up and buy everything, which is is classist in its way, you know. But there are some cool, beautiful things being made in the browser every day that you can play on your lunch break, even if you're not interested in investing like 40 hours of your week in the gaming universe. And I think that's important for people to know that games are bigger than just the consumer culture around them, that games are are something that you can interact with that involves a lot of, you know, art and harmony, and that, you know, you don't have to subscribe to the labels Mm -hmm. of gaming and gamerhood to enjoy playing video games or to enjoy trying and experimenting with things, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah that that that's definitely something I notice about off road, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was wondering if it was something that was intentional. That when I read the site, it really seems like it seems to avoid some of the assumed jargon and vocabulary. And if it does, it almost always links out in the articles to a deeper um, like a discussion, so it won't assume that the reader, you know, is familiar with you know the different types of things in a game like bloodborne or like something like that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I want you to be able to take something on off world and show it to your friend. Who's not necessarily a gaming fan so that they understand, you know, why you're interested, you know, because a lot of that vocabulary, it wasn't chosen by us. It was like gaming is for outsiders and weirdos and creative (laughs) people. And, you know, it, that jargon and that high tech gatekeeping was chosen by marketers and advertisers and people who want to sell computers and machines and discs. Right. Like and I think that I want to do my little part to kind of liberate games from the history of stuff of, you know, magazine adverts and PR people, you know, and, and make it just something that doesn't have rules for participation anymore. And and the more that we can um reduce the friction in that vocabulary, I think the more accessible we can make it.
2: Absolutely. So can can you talk about the genesis of Wolf World and and, uh, you know, how it came to be what, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we we kind of know the 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 inspiration for it. But, you know, how did how did it how did it go from from an actual thought and idea to to, uh, you know, something material and tangible?
0: Well, Offworld actually um, started, I have to check the exact year, but it was started by Brandon Boyer a few years back when the very idea of indie gaming um, was new. Back in, I don't know, 2008, 2009, probably, like when Braid and Fez and all those games started, you know, gathering attention, the very idea that a creator could make something outside of the constraints of popular aesthetics in commercial games was new. Um, And I think Brandon started the Offworld brand in collaboration with Boing Boing back then just to highlight the very idea of independent game making um, you know and and he did some I think really pioneering work in his time like shedding light on, on some of the games that you know your average gaming fan wouldn't get to find but I think the narrative of indie gaming has become much richer um, since yeah. then like i like I like indie game in the movie a lot, but it still sort of puts forth this narrative that games are sort of retro fantasies made by socially awkward white right. men, which is not like certainly there are some indie games like that, but to me, I'm excited by the indie games that are coming out of the twine scene, or you know the lower the barrier to entries to tools get, the more people are trying and making things and jamming on things and making games about experiences. I think what indie is has changed, and it's been important to me to sort of put that new narrative of indie forward a bit more. Um, so that people understand that it's not like, again, a lottery for socially awkward white dudes to win, but a means of self-expression for all kinds of people who've not had this out right. before. So, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly why Brendan stopped um, doing Offworld. I know um, a few years ago he uh, had become ill and that he took on some other projects. But so Boing Boing had kind of let Offworld um, lapse, and I guess, I mean, I, I guess I'll just be super honest and and tell you guys that I was having a hard time last year um after um I published a pretty controversial editorial critical of gamer culture um, we, we, during, may have, uh, the we may have heard about it yeah i i I was not you know I wanted to take a swing at consumer culture and the toxic environment that I thought was causing my friend Zoe to be harassed. I had no idea that it would have the impact that it had or that it would reach as many people as it did or be so controversial. I had no idea um and I guess the best way of putting it is, I wanted you know there, there were way, there were things that you know out of respect for my colleagues at Gamasutra and out of the, the business mandate of the site, I had to kind of just put my head down and wait for it to go right. away. But I thought that if I if I had my own platform that was solely devoted, you know, to my values, that I wouldn't <laughs> that I I would be able to stay I would be able to stand up for myself and I would be able, you know, I would be able to have. I would be able to offer more to the people that I was trying to protect rather than just getting upset. Um, so I, around that time, I was like, you know, I reached out to Boing Boing because I've done some work for Boing Boing in the past, just articles about television and music and other things. And uh, I really like uh, Rob, whom I work with there, Rob Bisqueza. He's uh, he's the managing uh, editor, and he's done all the visual design for Offworld. Um, so I reached out to him. And I was like, you know, I'm just putting it out there that games are – the games as they are, are really stressful for me right now and if there's ever an opportunity for us to to work more together i'd like i'd like that and he kind of said this that's so funny we were just kind of talking about you know if there's anything we could do for offworld now in a feminist way given everything that's happening and you were one of the people that you know came to mind as someone who could lead it and um from there we started talking about what the site's values would be and the shape um it would take and i knew you know i, I knew i needed someone with a a proper business (laughs) understanding of what articles people actually like to read because, like, you know, my, you know... S- sad 16-bit depression simulators are not necessarily going to like drive hu- drive right. huge. You know, but so L- Laura Hudson is someone that I wanted to bring on immediately um, because she worked for Wired for many years, and she also built um, did her best to build an inclusive comics space called Comics Alliance back in the day. So she has experience um, building positive spaces from the ground up, and she uh, you know also has that professional web background that I knew that I really uh, needed that counsel to kind of keep me in check and keep me from getting. To uh I don't know how I guess uh, so Laura and I work together uh, <laughs> Laura and I work very, very well together, and she she has a really fresh eye for games because she's kind of she, she's always liked games and stuff, and she was in, has been in comics, but she gets to come at them with you know a sense of wonder and discovery and not my. Twitter crankiness and world weariness. <laughs> so it's just it's it's great great working with her. Um, and we you know we laid down a bunch of values from the site that it would be women and minorities primarily writing. And that's not to say like you know we're going to make you know all our hiring and firing decisions based you know all our, all our contributor decisions based on you know race and gender and things. But we we want to focus on that um, because there are enough spaces that are the opposite of that. And um, so yeah, we we just. We wanted to remove some of the gatekeeping. We wanted to focus on inclusivity. Um, we wanted to do it in a, a sort of in a low key way because I, you know, I, I don't as a person have the resources to be an authority figure for vulnerable populations in particular. Mm-hmm. And so I can't promising people a safe space is not something that I have the capacity to do as much as I would like to. And promising people um you know, there's always going to be, so, there's always going to be, you know, I can't, I can't, do, I can't do everything. And I can't, be, you know, as only one person with a limited budget, there's always going to be something I'm not doing. And there's always going to be something else that people wish that I was doing with the space, which is something I'm constantly really <laughs> anxious about. But we, we had some goals that were important to us, and we're doing our best to keep to them. And we're hoping that over the next several months, the site, um, demonstrates that it is a, is sustainable as a business proposition. Because basically I've been going around the world for two years giving talks about how the world of games is more open and how there's a whole new undiscovered audience of underserved populations who want to play and write and read about games and, you know, I'm taking that bet. I'm gonna see if they come <laughs> you know, and that it's it's not it's just not me and my hundred friends who <laughs> <in the laughs> <one day. laughs> you know and so and so far it's been it's been really good. It's I think it's beaten our expectations so far, I can say, and uh, we hope it's gonna keep keep growing and that we're going to have the opportunity to maybe eventually in the future bring more people on start bringing more voices on
1: I think it's one of those things that, you know, even even in our small state right now with our show, we see that the people are there. We see that the folks are kind of clamoring for this kind of content and they've been looking for things like this for a long time but just didn't yeah. know where to have that kind of galvanizing space and, and, and it seems like both off world and, and some other places that are kind of popping up here and then and some that have already been in, like you said a minute ago, have already kind of Flourished, but now it's starting to can you make money off this can you can this be a thing that happens where other businesses are like we want to help invest in this as well um you're starting to have some of those conversations does it look like you know the the other side of that conversation is coming around the table as well does it feel like there's some of that in there Hmm. too
0: it's really tough to say because i will say that for as long, I've been writing about games for about eight years, and for the duration of my career, there's always been more people with podcasts and blogs and, and hoping, hoping for their shot and hoping to monetize their work than there has been you know, available room. It's a very popular and a very competitive field. But, and, and my career path has been, has been incredibly unconventional. I, I got lucky in a lot of ways and, and I freelanced a lot, which is not a thing that a lot of people sustainably do. Um I mean not to say nobody but you know I had I kind of got lucky in a lot of ways and so my career path was not a conventional one. I do think that I mean, if you just look at the statistics on websites today, the most popular stories are ones that are catalyzing these conversations that we want to have in games. Right. You know, so it's not right. just in games. If you if you look at and everything in comics and films, people want to have these conversations now about breaking barriers yeah. down and about respecting other people more. And it is one of the hottest uh, and most polarizing things going on on the internet right now. So I think that. You know the people who do that work in games and who do it well and passionately are, are going to have opportunities of some kind. We have to. You know, I hope. I'm taking that bad yeah. guys.
2: <laughs> Otherwise, we are all fucked. <laughs> yeah, That's
0: true. <laughs> I mean, we you know we we might be we might be fucked anyway if, if you ever read the comments on any yeah, stuff well, like uh, that. You know, uh, so
2: well. I I made the mistake of uh, listening to a YouTube video that kind of lambasted you and and oh and i and
0: i i don't yeah i don't i don't expose myself <laughs>
2: <laughs> and 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 um i you know i i of course w- went into the comments which is cardinal cardinal rule number one Ooh. um that i broke and someone made a comment about how you you know you're pushing your agenda Um, via your reviews, you know, yeah, (laughs) via your review.
0: I don't write reviews. I write my, I get paid for my opinion. Right, (laughs) right, right. And, and, and,
2: you know, and the argument that I made was, you know, like, it's a review, you know? I mean, it is, by definition, an opinion piece. And your opinion is going to be informed by your background by your taste by who you are
0: they just they just don't like they don't like they don't like my background um it, if i was coming from a if i was coming from a perspective that made them comfortable sure. i mean yeah you still gaming is a place where you can get death threats for giving right. something a 7 instead of an 8 right. or right. something right. but and and anyone can do that and that's not necessarily gendered but the gendered stuff is you right. know it the consequences for doing something that the consu- because this is a consumer base that has been catered to really experience explicitly for years right. and told that they are mm-hmm. going to get whatever they want mm-hmm. the most features getting one to one customer service direct access to the game developers right. they're catered to in such an explicit way that um they are you know they and 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 there's there's not much because because games thrive on having like big user bases right. you know they're they're encouraged to do, you know, they're they're not really policed or told that they can't do anything uh, or that they shouldn't do anything. It's a possibility space where you can act out all your fantasies. And so I think this combines to create a person who is very used to to hearing only what they want. And if the, a perspective is different from theirs, they react badly. And if the perspective is wildly different from theirs, like like uh, someone like me, it's the consequences are going to increase. And I break a lot of the rules for what these guys expect women to be and to do. Um, (laughs) and, uh, I, and I couldn't, I couldn't obey the rules if I tried. Um, I'm just not that kind of person. I have a lot of qualities that, uh, you know, people don't really like for women to have a lot. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I was honestly, yeah, I was, I was kind of like worried about you guys. Like I saw you were tweeting about having me on and you asked if people had questions for me. I'm like, Oh God, are they going to show <laughs> up and bother <laughs> these guys? No. I was like, uh, I like, I, I wanted to retweet it and I'm like, no, it's like waving a flag in front of the bull. Right. They, they, they would have just mm. like crapped this up Well first, well,
1: first, let me just say so. that we were one of the first crews out there to say, you know, all oh, this is bullshit. All right. these Gamergate dudes are whack yeah. and stupid and ridiculous and stupid. Yeah. And we got our we got our share of, of whatever. But you know what? Honestly, we have an agenda, too. Right. <laughs> that's the that's reason our show is here. Unabashedly. <laughs> yeah. We, Thank you. Yeah, uh, we, Thank you. We don't you. ever go anywhere not being able to say, yeah, we're right. here for a very specific reason. If you can't deal with that, I'm sorry. you right. got to deal bad. with that. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and bad. it's like, you know, and it's like, yes, I have an agenda, but you know if, if you have a problem with my agenda there's plenty of other sites right. that are going to have a different yeah. point of right. view. you know like it, it's it's not that they want to check my ethics it's that they <laughs> don't want me to have a right to speak exactly. at all right. you exactly. know i i heard like and and like you know over the past year and a half i've absolutely just stopped following it because it's a beneath my right. attention right. and it just not i can't change how they feel right. yeah. um and i found but someone told me that they started an encyclopedia a new encyclopedia dramatica of all the games journalists yeah. of which I have the most ethical breaches Congratulations. of any of them. Good job. The most wow. ethical breaches. Strive yeah.
2: to be number one.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I will, yeah. Like uh, I don't even know what that means. Right. <laughs> in it
1: means so here's you're doing a quick the right thing. thing. Yeah, it means you're doing exactly <laughs> yeah. the right thing. So here's a quick thing, and this is one of the reasons why I love, I love you and I love your work, is because we share a lot of the same kind of, it feels like, political angst in that way, where it's like... <laughs> yeah. And I, and I have to read it because it's, it comes from your your FAq and your on your site and it made me it made me want to to, to, to hug hug the world but it was like my adult, my adult life in games and internet culture frequently involves brutal brutal gendered language over video games and if you want someone uh, who feels sorry for you because your family grew up with a super nintendo don 't ask me says the fact that you
0: that's exactly what I yes. said you got it exactly I know, I'm right. reading
1: it I'm reading <laughs> it verbatim he reads oh. he reads very well oh yeah. I, I, oh I thought
0: I, I thought that was just coming off the top of your head oh no it's totally coming
1: from the top of my head no, don't no, give him no, no, too no, much, much so, yeah please uh, <laughs> so I do I do my research shut up <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> says the fact that you got a game boy for Christmas and liked like it so much and stop being anything else doesn't entitle you to a revolution your fandom is not your identity your uh, uh, is not your identity your fandom is not your race if you think it is then you're in our way and your work, and the work I do, specifically exists to dispossess you of your sense of relevance. Oh, I, love I read it. that. I, love it. I read that.
0: It, I mean, I, I didn't actually, in hindsight, realize it was so hard. No, but here's the
1: thing. <laughs> it's here's, awesome. Here's the, here's the thing, and this, yeah. and this is the reason why I wanted to bring that that particular thing up. And I'm glad you talked about the the, the gamers are over, gamers are dead kind of conversation right. because. People take that as being. I never
0: said dead by the no, you way. you I have to say, I never said. You didn't. The... You said over.
1: That's that's correct. <laughs> right. Thank you for the correction.
0: Right. Yeah, he Is... wasn't
1: reading
2: that. I wasn't
1: reading that. that. Actually,
0: there were t- they, <laughs> the, the, the funny thing was there were two men before me who wrote basically the same editorial. Right. I never read it. I didn't know about it. And they said dead. Right. And I'm the one who gets all the shit. For yes. Me. Well, that's because
2: yes, we're, we're, uh, that's because they were ethical, and you were completely yeah. unethical.
0: It completely <laughs> completely.
2: Here, here, here's here's the point to all that was.
0: Yeah, sorry. No, 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 no.
1: Because <laughs> because we're we're all about to be like motherfuckers. Anyway, right, right. Um, <laughs> it is is I think that we do live in this space now where people are not allowed to tell truth, and if mm-hmm. you're if you speak yeah. the truth. People will talk to you in a way that makes you feel like you're the bad guy for some reason sure. or all these other people come out of all the periphery to say, why are you saying these things and, and, and being terse about it and being in being short with people when you say these things. And I think that's a part of the beauty of what you're doing and your in your agenda is you don't have to give bullshit a platform. And once you give bullshit a platform, yeah. it continues to be bullshit and gets pushed forward and gets pushed out. I up. completely
0: believe that. And, and you you, you want to know something, guys? The hardest thing for me during everything that I've been through in the last year was not the haters. It was not the abuse. It was not the bullshit. It was, um, sorry, it was friends and people that I trusted and people that I professionally respected going... Well let's hear both sides yeah, or you right. know, you yes. also you yes. you Lee also your tone was poor or like right. you know maybe you know maybe you should apologize for your part of it so that they see that you are not a bad woman <laughs> right. and like that was the stuff that yeah. honestly you guys put mm-hmm. me in a rage kept me up at yeah. night it was i i those harassers and those sexists and those guys, they say the same thing to every woman. They say mm-hmm. the same thing to everybody they disagree with. You can dismiss that. It right. was the let's hear both sides and right. maybe you could have done things. You know, maybe if you hadn't done something wrong, this wouldn't be happening to right. you. Like, right. That was well, the hardest part. Well, y- right. we, you
2: you you talked earlier about how you didn't necessarily uh, acknowledge or recognize the black experience. Um but that right there is the black experience. That's the black experience right there. Exactly. I mean, I've,
0: and my, my black friends have, have sort of helped me kind of unpack that part of of who I am and sort of recognize the ways that I do relate to the black part of my upbringing and the black part of my family. And like, it's made it easier. It's, it's, it's made it, I mean, not, not that it was ever easy to be angry about. I mean, not that it was ever, you know, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's made it easier for me to connect with other people and just share vocabulary with them and 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 things like that right. so um yeah think thank you for saying that yeah. it's, as I said i have been I have been looking you know I have been trying to make sense of where I come from and where my anger comes from and where my father's anger comes from yeah. and and why I'm passionate about the things I'm passionate about it's like you know like now I'm on a podcast with like three black geeky dudes like if I'd had friends like you around like maybe it would have been I don't know simpler for me you know right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well
2: it would have just it would have just been difficult for all of us so. yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly no yeah. that no
3: that uh, point that you brought up I mean that's the exact same thing that we hear with you know all these unarmed shootings Chiefs, and right. like all exactly. these things right. that are going exactly. on we always hear people like exactly. well let's hear both sides and let's do like maybe you sides. shouldn't yeah.
0: have reacted in this way I mean this right. is not Right. We're we're gonna tell you that you know you you someone's been murdered and we're gonna tell you what an appropriate response to that is. It's right. just absolutely fucking outrageous. Yes. The, the absolutely other... ridiculous. Go ahead. I'm
1: sorry. No, I, no. Continue because I was like I'm I'm in here. I <laughs> yes. wish I could be jumping around, but it would mess right. up. Yeah, mind. yeah.
0: I mean, I, and and I I you know I don't want to compare the plight of me as a fucking video game journalist to like <laughs> shit going on in Baltimore. It, it's not the same thing, but. You see that that is how oppression works. They try to blame you for Mm -hmm. your reaction to oppression. They try to, you know, and and one thing that I've learned is that if they want to oppress you, there is no right way to behave. If I had been... If I had made myself attractive and accessible and polite, I would have been a doormat. I would have been unfuckable. Or I would have been too fuckable. I would mm-hmm. have been angry. I would have been, you know, like there's right. no right way to be me yep. in a system of oppression. And yep. there's no right way to be a, a, like a, a young, unarmed black man in America. It's the same type of, st- it's the same tactic that abusers right. will use, that oppressors will use. And there's, they give you this illusion that you could have affected the outcome when in fact, they're the only <laughs> ones who can affect <laughs> the outcome. Right. Right. That's,
1: That's very right. well put. H- the last the last quick part to that is a thing that I noticed and I didn't think a lot of other people who were in those groups who were the the let's see both sides of this conversation really got to was I if you've been in the games journalist journalism space for so long it feels like this is not this is a thing that happens to you in 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 droves, like people continuously tell you, your shit and your work is shit, and you didn't do this right, and you don't do this right, and I'm like, your article felt more like a reasonable response to long, long, long treads of. of And every
0: day, I have people telling me how to talk on Twitter and telling me how (laughs) I should act when people treat me a certain way, and and every like. I feel like I would not be such a frigging bitch on Twitter if people would just sometimes let me talk and give me credit for my experience and give me credit for my emotions. Right. Like it's just all this police, all the policing, right. like right. the, you know, and like I said, there, there's no way for me to be no. right in their eyes. No. And, 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 and you bring up a good point that I've been doing this since I was like 25. And like, honestly, they've been trying to put me down since right. I came. Um, they, It's been fat bitch, ugly bitch, uh, stupid bitch, not a real gamer. And even the well-meaning stuff, like, I post an exhaustive article about, you know, franchise I'm very familiar with. I've been to the studio. I've interviewed the developers. I know what I'm doing. I know how to do my effing job. And they're like, Oh, here's a fun fact for you, Miss. Like, oh, like, oh, thanks.
4: Yeah. Like, well, that, yeah, like,
0: you know, I'm not, I'm not a, but I'm sure there are plenty of things that I do not know and that I have to learn. But a rando with, like, a rando who decided to follow me because of my work is not going to be the probably the one who has the missing information. <laughs> right. yeah. So it's like that's the, like it's the well-meaning but toxic stuff that bothers me. That the explaining and the trying to help yeah. me by telling me to be nicer, like that's the stuff yeah. that sucks worse than harassment. Yeah. And and, and they've been trying like I told you they've been trying to put me down since I came my personality was never right or you know like oh no like I was drunk at E3 guess what everybody's, everybody's drunk at drunk E3 at- right, right. Like- <laughs> have you right. ever have you ever been to a video games conference all the guys drink like three times as much as me but I'm drunk once and I'll hear about it for the rest of my life the rules have always right. been different for right. me and this is just a banner for them to unite under that gives a name to the ways that they've always mm-hmm. treated me and the ways that they've always treated other marginalized creators in our space and other women and other people of color like it's just another name for the bullshit beliefs right. that they've always had Word. Sorry, I feel like no. I'm getting- no, 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 please. This is it's, it's, it's need nice. To hear?
2: It's nice to be on the other end of that because usually it's me. <laughs> yeah, usually it's going me. the fuck off. So yeah. all right, I, okay,
0: I, I I, I, and you guys, you guys had an agenda for this. We're supposed to talk about video games. I'm sorry, for no, uh, about no, no, but that's a, part,
1: that's a part. That's a part of the conversation, right? Yeah. It's the yeah. reason. It's the reason that you know we all. One, this space is here for right. for us and Absolutely. for you and for for people to 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 talk about this because that was the thing that I, I pulled away from. A lot of the the, the Gamergate stuff was it never felt like the people who were being targeted were ever looked upon as being human beings. And they were never mm-hmm. allowed to have emotions. They were never allowed to, to be frustrated about their job, to, to, to be able to have conversations about, you know, they got infiltrated into the into the group that they made on Google just because... Like,
0: oh, exactly. Like, I just, I just, I just lied my way into my career. And <laughs> like, I'm not professional. I'm like, son, you go to GDC and you try to write four talks in one day. you tell me I'm not fucking professional. Right. That, shit like, you know, like, that shit is hard. That
1: right. shit is hard. It's not easy.
0: It's not I'm sorry. Like, I'm not bragging on myself, right. but you're it's...
3: No, 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 i don't say, i don't I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with like tooting your own horn um and I definitely don't think that there's you know don't feel bad about kind of talking about all this stuff because like we're still limited in the aspect that you know we definitely talk about like diversity on the show but like we're still men right so we can't yeah
4: even
3: even even though we try to be aware of you know patriarchy and the way that you know things affect women differently we still can't add the perspective that like uh, you do so we definitely appreciate it
0: well it's a constant process of awareness like i don't think any of this is ever asking for you know i i hear some of the pushback being like oh we we have to walk on eggshells and if you say one wrong thing you're being you're going to get censored and that's it's not what it's about it's not about being perfect it's about about being curious about developing your framework for caring for other people better and we're all all of us always learning about all of these experiences that are not our own and so it's like it all it, it's about the act of talking and listening and being together it's not about being perfect or having the right perspective or accounting for everyone you, you can't possibly right
1: and, and if most people who are really paying attention to you if they're really either fans or people who are really uh Really wanting for you to do better in the space, they'll look at the body of your work. They'll look at the things that you've said and yeah. take you in the totality of who you are as a as a person as much as you can in the social media space. So, you know.
0: I've, and I've been working hard to grow up as much as I can over the years and to do better and and to uh, to realize and notice the things that people want from me and expect of me and try to meet that a little better. I'm trying. Hey,
1: my, my first tweets were <laughs> shitty as hell. I talked so much shit, so don't <laughs> worry. We're all we're all working ourselves through it. Yeah, we're all working ourselves through. I
0: it. know it's it's so weird, like, especially it's too suddenly dealing with visibility, you know, you, you go from ha- just being another person with a social media account to being in public. And it's like, you don't, you know, you don't, you just don't expect that. You just don't expect it. And so it's like, even like my my old articles, sometimes I look back and I'm like, oh, that's such an idiotic perspective. <laughs> like, why, why did, I was like, who let you publish this? Why did you think you were smart about this? Um, but yeah, everyone, I think everyone is constantly growing and it's just about listening and forgiving and, and learning and not so much about, you know, having to have all the right perspectives on the, on one show. Yeah, you totally, know? Totally.
1: I think, I think the thing that helps folks grow is being able to take a minute and, and, and let themselves calm down, let themselves relax, listen to some music like we're about to do right now. We're going to jump into our music break. <laughs> Uh, This is episode 62 of the Spawn of Me podcast. We are rocking with Lee Alexander. Holy shit, this is dope. Uh, We're going to come back after this. We'll be right back. Check it out.
5: That dress so scandalous, and you know I never couldn't handle it. So you're shaking that thing like who's the ish For the look in your eyes so devilish. Uh, you like to dance all the hip hop spots. and you cruise to the cruise to like connect the dots. Not just urban, she liked the pop, cause she was living lovely. Love God. She had dumps like a truck, truck, truck. Thighs like wah, wah, wa. Baby, more your I think I'll sing it again. She had dumps like a truck, truck, truck. Thighs like wah, wah, wah. All night long. Let me see that phone. Yes, she Cause she was living la like vida loca She had dumps like a truck
1: 62 uh the joint that you just heard is a special request from <laughs> from across the pie uh our, one of our favorite songs one of those summertime jams that you remember you, you went out and cut all your hair off and, and spray
2: painted your scalp
1: sober. wait
0: i'm being accused of requesting this no, I, no.
2: This was Cicero. Cicero requested. Oh, okay, this. okay. Uh, yeah, you know because because I request dope music. Yes, you do. I, I have I have great musical taste. Yeah, you do. I, oh. I think it's the best. Uh, actually, but it just oh, one for Cicero. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Look at that. Look nah. at that. Look at that. the
1: The song is called the Thong Song <laughs> from from our friend Cisco. <laughs> From the from the best album yeah. known to pop music culture forever. You can't even you can't
0: even say that without laughing. This is this is
1: <laughs> because you know why? Because the video was playing in my head.
0: <laughs> look, it has look. There's a human pyramid, a blacklight finale, a violin yeah. orchestra. Yes. What else has that? It has yeah. everything. It it oh does have everything. I'm sorry, it's my favorite song.
2: <laughs> yes, the, the big the bass drops in the beach on the beach.
1: Just imagine Dragon Age fanfic with, with Cisco. Oh Enter yeah, the, oh the, the Dragon Age. Enter the this Dragon Age. <laughs> Yo, that would be dope. That would be so dope.
0: <laughs> I, I would I, I'd, oh I my to God. consult Tanya and get her to help me like, with yeah. some Dragon Age words to put in for the lyrics. It's, I think we should, All think right, we should Tanya. go further with this. Yeah.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> yep. Tanya, let's make this happen.
0: Okay. What are some Dragon <laughs> Age words that rhyme with scandalous?
2: Right. (laughs) I don't know.
0: Anything that rhymes with with truck? Truck.
2: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Truck. (laughs) uh, Fuck. Fuck. (laughs) No. 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 That is what you do in that game. Yes, that's true. That's true.
1: All the things are fabulous. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know where to go from here. How do you?
3: How do you wrangle a show after you just had that happen? I think we can go by uh, saying shout out to. Tanya to pass from I need diverse game Hi Tanya uh
1: she's awesome You're the dope miss Tanya we 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 always have you in <laughs> in mind and in our
2: thoughts for right. <laughs> this conversation right. we so. we talk to we talk to you every day we'll actually be talking to you again really soon that's uh Word. uh uh,
3: foreshadowing as, as that's what that's what the pros call that
0: dun, dun, dun. Right.
3: <laughs> y- 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 yeah and and I'll, I'll i'll be on some panels with her at uh WizCon. Um, oh nice, in a few days, nice. So. i totally so, forgot all that's, about, that's
2: right that's awesome mm-hmm. that's right oh you know what before we before we jump into anything else um i want to shout out uh our minister of no finance Sharif jackson on his latest hashtag gaming looks good video um so uh do you want to talk about what it is and yeah sure
3: so it's um yeah so game looks good is a youtube series i do um on diversity in gaming um and the latest one was on mortal Kombat 10 um because it was surprisingly good in terms of its depictions of uh women and uh people of color and women of color i was Actually, very surprised, especially since Mortal Kombat Nine was hard <laughs> and, and terrible in like every sense of the word. Um, but this game, they actually, you know, they actually put some time into the uh, the uh, plot. Which you don't expect for from a from a fighting. Game. I, I think fighting games um, have great
0: plots. Everyone wants a thing, and they're all going to fight for it. Right, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fighting for the thing. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah, so, so, so like that's definitely true in the Street Fighter type of world, but Mortal Kombat they created this whole convoluted oh. thing over years, and uh, yeah, I was I was just very impressed that like you know like they have a black woman in the game, Jackie Briggs, who's in a interracial like relationship with with like a asian dude in the game and it's actually handled quite well the dialogue is is like good like the women aren't just boobs and like g-strings like they were in the other game so yeah so uh definitely check it out at uh gaming um oh, check word. that out and the and the next one uh Will be on spl- on the Splatoon data right. that I oh nice I'm excited about. to hear what your your
1: Huge. thoughts are about that and so see you see what's going on with yes
3: that. Um, so ch- ch- check
2: out some squids <laughs> good good segue into something I don't know what that is okay <laughs> <laughs> word so so normally normally what happens is um, when we get to this part of the show, Kaz says something super lame, and I get hype and I say something, but today you know, we're switching everything all the way up now it's my turn and it's, uh, you know, I'm going to say Lee, you're all the way across the pond, what do you think we should do now?
0: I think we should break it down break it down! Lies, roommates, roommates, lies.
2: Yeah. Alright, um, so the first article the first piece of news um that we're going to talk about in our breakdown segment comes from uh someone actually very close to the podcast um very close to the show right now um there was there's was a site called off world um and then there's this this writer named lee alexander and uh she talked about this story called uh why are the stories in video games so bad? Um she doesn't think they're good. So I think I think what I'll do is I'll turn it over to Lee and ask her directly why you think the game so uh stories are so bad. Some of that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, look, I, some of my favorite narrative moments ever have been from games and sure. some of uh, there's some just I've felt felt and experienced some great stories from playing games. So I don't think it's all bad, right. but it's true that I don't think that epic storytelling and narr- narrative design in video games is a solved uh, art or a perfected science, and I think a lot of pe- what people expect from game storytelling is, is misinformed, and that includes the industry as well. So, I wrote a little piece. Um, you know, I know a lot of people who who work on on games writing and. I know them because they all hang out together and they don't hang out with the other game developers. And then every time I drink with them, then the stories come out about all what they wanted to do and why it didn't happen. Right. And, and then I see fans being like, oh, why was this story so bad? Why was that story so bad? Why That game had a horrible premise and, and that writer is a bad writer. And I think... I wanted to look at some of why the ways we understand writing in games tend to be wrong on all sides. Some of the challenges writers have when they're brought in to a development team and the fact that it's still too rare for a writer to be brought in and treated uh, like a designer because the writer is going to be a narrative and an experienced designer. They have to be brought in on the ground level to shape that sort of storytelling along with the people who are creating the rest of the player experiences. Right. And so one of the things I wrote about is, like, like, all right, we want an action game. We want to make it feel good. We've designed some beautiful art. We've made these beautiful set pieces. We have this level here that we designed. We have that level here, there that we designed. We have this um, battle taking place. It has to happen in space. Now, you're a writer. Find a reason for that all to make sense, <laughs> you know? And, and then the writer's like, well, you know, you wanted me to write a strong female character, but then you have this whole, you know, zombie slashing battle in a mannequin store, and it looks kind of, you know... The contrast is weird, so maybe can we cut that battle? Like, are you kidding? We, we finished all the assets already. It's done. Right. We're not cutting that. you right. got to change your character. And so, like, a lot of the things that we tend to find dissonant in our experience of game storytelling is down to how they get made. And I, I actually I wrote my piece off the back of an interesting piece I read from Will O'Neill. Um, which was focused on advice to independent developers about writing for games, and his suggestion was that people need to take more inspiration from plays and theater right. than they do, rather than doing the cinematic. Like games are obsessed with like trying to be like action films, and I I think that that desire is holding them back a bit, or is not the best way for us to think about what games are good at. Um, necessarily. Like, you know, there have been some great cinematic moments in games, but for the most part, I think that's not that's not the best way to do it. And it was also an excuse for me to shout out a text game that my colleague and my friend Matthew Burns made that takes you sort of inside what seems to me a, a really realistic depiction of design meetings that include the writer, and how frustrating it is, and how there's never going to be any right decision. I don't know if you guys got a chance to check out um, The Writer Will Do Something, Yes, mm. but it's a... It, it, you, what did you mm. think of that? It's So
2: it's actually the second time this game has been brought up on spawn on me in fact in the last probably six weeks uh, when we had lisa brown on um Mm -hmm. about a month ago uh shout out to lisa hey how you doing um and shout out to Slowdown down ball (laughs) um and uh she talked about the writer will do something and we talked about it uh then so yeah we're very familiar. Oh, so
0: I've I got, not, got nothing new under the sun to offer. Oh, here, please. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but really, though, it's true that I wasn't saying in my post anything really that was revelatory um, that other writers and game developers and, and critics have not said before, but it was an excuse to kind of gather some of my thoughts along with some of my favorite links in one place.
3: Sure. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I and, mean, like, it was pretty analogous to, um, you know, like, I work in, like, sort of corporate IT stuff, and we've often watch these like videos where like you know a client kind of comes in and makes these ridiculous like requirements without checking in with the tech team and then says hey so like you can do this right you, you know like uh after they've made all the promises to the business people and like all that stuff and then we kind of have to like finagle away to like make it happen like i really thought about that as i read your uh, yeah. piece um and i was really wondering that like I think that we often hear about sort of the you know the game crunch period when it comes to development yeah. and and like and like sort of like the raw like coding and like all that stuff to to the
0: game the technology right. product right, right. Product. like we're familiar with the work of developing games as technology products but the creative aspect is I think even more yeah. unsolved and if we don't know how to distribute people's time and energy and attention just around the technical aspects and around the material work of actually building stuff, it's even harder to sort of direct people's time and energy and skills around the uh, creative elements, I think. Um, and I do some consulting myself uh, as well, um, which I keep pretty separate from my games journalism. Obviously, you know, just maybe be very clear. I don't write about <laughs> games that I work on and never will. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> There's, a, there's about a million video games out there, and I can help with some and write about some others, and then those two areas don't touch. But, or um, do they? Uh, and in some of my consulting, <laughs> oh, <no.
4: laughs>
0: and, and honestly, the funny thing is, is that con- our consulting structure we usually make a flat rate, so even if I work on a game and then write about right. it, I'm not making any more money from it, but I just right. don't because it's not ethical. Right. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> right. uh, now that we got that out of the way, the most common advice that <laughs> a lot of like when a lot of people who hire me and my business partner to do consulting for them and to help them with their game designs the mo- one of the most common recommendations we end up making is that they need a writer
4: right.
0: mm-hmm. um you know they're like oh well it's not really a story game it doesn't have a lot of dialogue or there's not a lot of text in it so what do I need a right. writer for I'm like because you're acting like the narrative arc is secondary mm-hmm. and it's not the player gonna notice and not take your game as seriously
1: yeah it, it-
0: so yeah, that's one of the most common yeah. things. I would
1: love to see what the actual like ratio is in AAA studios to see how much of it is actually hey, we have these graphics, we have the storyboard, we have this ready and then we have no real connective tissue behind the scenes to get mm. things going until w- No,
0: there's always a concept. Yeah. yeah, there's always a concept. They need like a unifying pitch to do it. But
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it would just be curious to be a fly in those walls and see how much and where where they kind of drop yeah. themselves in during the process.
2: Yeah. So, got I've see. got I've got uh some friends that are writers um for a gaming company that I won't name, but let's just say that their software is ubiquitous and um That was disgusting and terrible. (laughs) Terrible, terrible (laughs) faux pun.
0: I thought that was actually. I thought that was very, very, really elegant. It was just a look on his face when he
1: did it. That was the thing that made me. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) So, um, but, but the 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 things that they wind up saying is is that, you know, like if along the the hierarchy of of people within the game development process writers are just above game testers you know yeah, it's they don't take right it's very like seriously. you know no. the the That's game crazy. testers writers the janitor the the security guy yeah. then you know, <laughs> then yeah. everybody else and, and 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 it is it is very very weird um the thing that you like if you've been paying attention to games in in the way that we all do um one of the things that you'll notice is that games like games with lore games like Skyrim um, where where they sit back and they say we're going to develop this game like it's Lord of the Rings like it's this epic history um, where they they spend the time before the game is made developing rules for the lore and for the, 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 the the world itself allows them to really build a narrative even once they, you know, even as the tools start to develop, and yeah, um, and you find that when games don't do that, that the narrative really, really starts to suffer. Um, and and you know, Quietus is kept. Uh, this is this is a really dark secret, uh, Tanya. I know you're listening. Cover your ears. Um, I don't think the Mass Effect story is that dope. Like mm, right. I, I now, thought and, the right, thoughts and right, things that are being said by for are not a
1: part <laughs> right. of this uh, one. Now, now,
2: now, now, or or let me put it this way: I love Mass Effect. Mass Effect. I love I love what Bioware does. I love um you know how they put stories together. I love how they put their games together. But the story from Mass Effect, as it as it is is a story that we've heard before um we've never heard it before in games but we've heard this story before um out, outside of the gaming world and it didn't necessarily to me it it wasn't revolutionary as a story um it was revolutionary because it was a story in I agree games with that. but but, like, it wasn't, it didn't resonate with me the same way uh, Knights of the Old Republic did. And,
3: and with that story. Sure.
1: If, I, if I, that I guess here's,
3: here's a question. Yeah, I definitely. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead no, I would just say, and I agree that it wasn't revolutionary, but I still think it was Oh, good. yeah, 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 very yeah, very yeah, well yeah. I mean. Yeah. At, at, at sure. what it was. Like, it was basically, you know, I was I was like, this is my Star right. Trek game. Right, right, like, right, 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 right. I'll ask this question
1: of Lee because I think that this is this kind of ties into that, and I think it's something that we've seen in most of the games that we've played, especially ones that are fairly long and, and do have these kind of bigger, uh, overarching kind of stories that we see over trilogies and over bigger, bigger games. Do you feel that to a certain extent we've seen it happen in just most of the in, in most of the media that we actually consume that have been translated from books into into movies or translated into books from uh, from books to television shows? Do you have to condense everything down into these short digestible pieces that that don't necessarily give you the ability to kind of go into the nuance of of an actual story in the way that we'd all like to see them? We've seen it in games where a lot of that nuanced conversation and the lore is kind of put behind the scenes it's put in a codec it's put into uh the books yeah. that you've seen in uh uh in skyrim you right. go around and go to places and you'll see those books around you can read them but no one's going to read those books not unless you are really super super into the lore right. do you feel like that is a is, is an issue that we see as being problematic is that you just don't have enough time within the game to do the things that you want and enjoy the lore at the same time or get all those stories combined
0: well, I, I sort of think that that's a design failure. Mm-hmm. If you're a person who's interested in story, why is your only option? You know, they've gatekept and they've put all the story in books and lore and in menus that you have to right. read through because they their thinking is only a few weirdos are going to actually care this <laughs> right, much. Right, right. And I think that it doesn't have to be that way, Um, that it doesn't have to be walled off in that fashion. And that the story, you know, I think that... There are many different media, books, games, TV, television, and you should be able to adapt a story across multiple media so that you can tell the same tale using different techniques. Like, um, uh, for example, the Game of Thrones TV show has made a lot of adjustments and a lot of adaptations and edits to the way the book does things. And for the most part, I think that these are smart decisions and good edits that make the series more suitable for a television viewing audience. Mm -hmm. And I think that there should be ways of taking, like you say, the Mass Effect story is actually pretty classic you know not I'm gonna abstain from saying whether I think (laughs) (laughs) um, it is a classic um, you know it's a classic space opera and these have been success stories like this have been successfully told in other media and I think it's not necessarily the best way of adapting those tropes and those themes and the events that people expect because it's it's at odds with what people want a game to be which is action and decisions and romance and and um, I I think there's got to be a way to offer the player a chance to experience the sense of being in an epic space opera with their crew members and with their friends and with the world in the balance and not make them have to go inside a whole bunch of menus and read a lot of tiny text to know right. that. Games are wonderful games are like you know for example if you look at architecture you know good architects build a building so that when you walk into the space you immediately know where you have to go for what your needs are and games have the ability to architect to guide us in an architectural sense as well and Mm. and spaces can tell stories just by being there without words and without you know having to open a menu like a lot of games like that's one of the things, you know, which, you know, not, not the most perfect game in the world, but one of the things that, for example, Bioshock was good at is that there was a story in everything that you looked at. The narrative was in the environment and, um, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't walk into Bioshock and then a menu pops up where I have to go and read, like, this city was underwater and then everybody went (laughs) crazy and here's what, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) I mean, and, and, you know, granted, they they went and did a lot through those audio diaries, which I didn't really like, but um, there, I think there were better ways for Mass Effect to tell Mass Effect story. Yeah.
1: Yes. Really. Yes. Really quickly. Better story since since two of the stories that you've written written about in the past month or so, uh, kind of touch on that. Better story, Symphony of the Night, or Silent Hill Two.
0: Oh, Silent Hill Two. I'm not even that. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is why we're cool. Yeah,
0: that is a cool story, and it's well told, and you're inhabiting the sentiment and the disgust of that story in Silent Hill 2. you, you got to stop me because I'm going to on all day about this, but your answer is Silent Hill 2. <laughs> I mean, I love Symphony of the Night, but Silent yeah, Hill Silent,
1: Silent Hill is my it shit. Is. Anyway. Right. Um, well, Yay!
2: Well, will we ever get to the point where we have screenplay writers for video games in the way that there are screenplay writers... Um, For for, you know, for cinema, you know, for movies where the writer comes in first, drafts a story, and then it's everyone else's job to, you know, populate that world and, and make that make that a reality for the gamer.
0: I don't know how they're going to solve the problem. I, I, I say no. I don't know how they're going to solve this problem on bigger teams, but I think the solutions that we're seeing are coming from storytellers that are also designers. Right. Um, like if you look at Stanley Parable, that was really right. that stro- yeah. that was done by two mm-hmm. guys, and it was in perfect harmony with the way that games are supposed mm-hmm. to feel and to work. So I think we're gonna have uh, people with good design sensibilities who come up with a premise and then maybe they have a writer help them flesh it out or something like that um but I don't i think it's it's got to be closer to the game design process not more separate from hmm. it it's there can't be a screenplay and then a game it has to happen at the same oh, time yeah,
1: i think that's the reason why everyone was so excited for that guillermo del toro game that was supposed to come out when silent hills was actually supposed to happen so right.
0: i was not excited for I, it i was like what does a hollywood guy know about telling stories uh, yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah
1: yeah true true and <laughs> true and on that okay. um
0: and now we'll never know nope. it's
1: gone forever. it's it's,
2: gone. it's on an infinite voyage <laughs> uh, speaking speaking of voyages um there is a game called Herald uh that is about a voyage uh into racial diversity um and um it, it's it's a, a really i actually i was uh it was brought to my attention via Colin Campbell. Uh, An article that he penned on on, on Polygon. So, uh, you know, thanks to him. Um, This game is due out uh, via Windows, Mac, and Linux. Um, The first part, it will be coming out early 2016. I
0: think it's being kickstarted. Yeah, it's being kickstarted. Yes,
2: exactly. It's on Kickstarter. Exactly. Um, So it's coming out of a developer from Europe. Um, I can't think of the name of the company Wisp Wisp fire i can't say things i must articulate and enunciate really well Whisper. fire words. yes um and and so the 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 thing that's unique about this story is you play as a brown protagonist um this person is of mixed race and he is on a boat with everyone else. It is a is a point and click adventure game, um, much in a very uh, kind of telltale telltale style, uh, where you have to make decisions. Where the story itself doesn't necessarily change at the end, but um, the 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 choices that you make will determine how the rest of the characters interact with you and perceive you while you're on while you're on the voyage. Uh, Lee, I know that you've you've actually had some some uh, hands on with the demo. What would you think of it?
0: Yeah, I've seen a little bit. Well, yeah, I really like the art. I really like how the character looks. And I love the idea of being on a ship. Um, I think this game sounds to me like it's really ambitious. Um, They've said it's a lot of things. um, But, you know, when you you described a more Telltale-style choice game, but what I played was much more traditional. I was walking around a cabin and I was looking for items and and, uh, I I haven't, like, decided anything yet in the game. So I haven't really got a clear shape in my mind of what exactly it's going to be. Or, or how it's gonna play but um, it, you know I spoke to these guys when I saw I went to a maze festival in Berlin um, la a couple weeks ago and it was like a, a really good time and I spoke to them there and they were really nice uh, developers and uh, spoke about um, wanting your decisions to affect your legacy and that you're building a sort of generational story Mm. on this ship. And I I haven't gotten to see that element of it in action yet. So basically for me, it's just, it's a thing that sounds like a cool idea and I really like the people who are making it. And, uh, um, I got to spend some more time with the demo. Mine, uh, this isn't indicative of, of the future of the game, but because this always happens, but my demo has some uh, technical glitches. Mm -hmm. So I'm just waiting to, uh, waiting to sort that out, um, so that I can dive back into it. Um, but yeah, no, it sounds like it's going to be nifty but uh, also ambitious and uh, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be like to play. Right. Yeah, okay. I'm just
1: I'm just jealous of the the main character's hair. He has like the most amazing <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah. I wish great I wish hair. I had the like slicked back Superman curl. I've never, never had, had that. So I, I want I'm jealous. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll lend you some of mine. i I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sans hair. It was a long story, a
1: long torrid tale of, of, of baldness at the age of twenty <laughs> <laughs> something. Tory tale, which would be a dope point and click. Yes, think about that. <laughs> t- <laughs> that it would be a dope point and click.
2: Anyway,
0: <laughs> you should make a twine game about I'm it. it that twine it? is easy to make. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. So one of the things that uh, these developers uh, they're. Uh, they're from the Netherlands, so they're Dutch um they one of the things that they're doing they're they're all the devs are white, but they're doing something correct um they're dealing with um race and you know they're they're dealing with race right up right in the forefront, and what they've done is they've interviewed lots of people that have emigrated to the Netherlands. From other places, from the Middle East, from you know, from Northern Africa, what have you, and have asked them about their experiences assimilating and acculturating to the Dutch society, and and how that you know the difficulties that they've had with doing that, and have um, actually applied that to the game. So you know, I'm really really happy about that. So I'm you know expecting uh, to. Be able to play it and and expecting great things. Um, so, guys, what do you, uh, Reef? I guess I'll ask you. Um, what What do you think is is if do you think that's the
3: the, the right way to do things? Or do you think they should have just left it alone? Or, um, I, I, I will say that my gut reaction was they should have left it alone. Just just based off what I read, I do think that you know we kind of need people to be telling their own stories and i know that being a good storyteller means that you can sort of get out of your own perspective and there have been some great stories in and outside of like video games about you know um different cultures that the writers weren't you know initially a right. part of um but um after reading in the uh in the uh polygon um stories so the developers say you know like uh, we we are both gay so we have some little experience of being in a minority group um and we wanted to make a game about what it's like to be a part of a minority and what it's like to be excluded um I don't know. I I, I just um, I am kind of two minds about it. Like I I do kind of wish that they at least either, you know, had someone on board that had a little more personal experience or consulted with someone that maybe had some personal um, experience because I do think a lot of the nuances and the microaggressions that come with um, you know dealing with these issues are hard to properly represent if if you're if like you don't have or are close to someone that has personal experience with it
1: yeah it's going to so. be one of those things that once the the full game comes out and we all have a chance to kind of run through it we'll be able to you know pick and choose and see what parts of it they got right and what parts they got wrong and then be able to kind of relay that through both you know our, our writings and our and our and our talkings uh to the folks that would like we might either want to kind of share that game with, or say nay on, on, on those games coming right. out. But you know, you got to give folks a chance. I believe you have to give folks a chance to try, and, right. and hopefully right. that's the way that the, the systems right. kind of right. all grow together. Right. Um, and
2: and I, I think, you know, but I don't know if you were about to run over to the next story. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but so before you say that, I will say that if if we didn't give people a chance, we wouldn't get beautiful games like Never Alone. Like that was a wonderful story. It was a. It was a. St- the
0: process for that was really, really different. Sure. I, yeah. I think the important thing is that they. Um, they worked with a Alaska Native right. organization. Had members of the community coming and joining the dev team right. and working step by step with them through the process. Right. I mean, I mm. tend to, you know, I I I can see both. I hate to say it, no, oh, but, no. but, but no, I mean, I, I do think you have to let people try <laughs> and that their hearts are, are in the right place and that you know they can take the time to listen to and learn about other experiences. But I also think that Shreef has a point in that, um, you know why if if it's if it's so important for you to tell this story you don't know one person with this background that you could add to your team you know what i mean like you know i think that you got you have to bring people from the group that you want to tell stories about into the process of creation it's not just getting interviews to find out about what it was like like actually give a job to this (laughs) person let them be on the team you know what i mean And, and and if you don't know you know like it's still it 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 maintains that power differential where it's like, I will tell your story for you if you yes. speak to
4: me. You <laughs> yes. know what I mean?
0: Rather right. than, you know, I, I'm interested in your story. Can you help me tell it? You know, here's a job for right. you rather than free labor of enlightening me about your experience <laughs> right. of alienation and microaggression. Um, yeah. Like, so again, like, you know, they, they seemed like good people when I met them and I, 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 I think it always depends on the situation, whether someone is, is able to represent experiences not their own in, in, a, in a fair and respectful way. But I would like to see as all these white dudes. I want to tell the story of this population that I'm not a part of. Like, well, why don't you work with, work with that population the way that, you know, the Never Alone team did work closely with them, from what right. I understand. Right. So. You know, get, get, and and it's also for the benefit. of just the important thing is, is that the way I understand the business deal around Never Alone being set up is that the game actually benefits the Alaska Native community financially, right. like that, oh. the it, it's economic development for them. Oh. So it's like. You know that's different than just going and being like, "Can I talk to you about your story so I can make it into a video game that I can?" Right? You know? <laughs> whoever. But yeah, I, I think we should give we give the benefit of the doubt and wait and see. Absolutely, the game's not nearly Absolutely.
1: finished. Absolutely, I, I agree, and I think whoever trademarks the term "video game gentrification," they were the winners of all the things. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to our, our, our last story, which focuses on our favorite folks, or at least Sharif's favorite folks. I'm just to learn to like them again but Nintendo Nintendo the people who do the things that make me really mad but then also do the things that make me really happy when I can play their stuff Uh, there was a good article about um, them hopefully possibly maybe an opinion piece by Brian Cassante saying they should maybe get out of the uh, the, uh, console biz Uh, and it kind of boils itself down into talking about how the new the new system that they are proposing the NX Uh, Again, coming out in a uh, non-console release schedule um, may find themselves in the same predicament that they did when they came in with the Wii U and how that may also be kind of detrimental to to them and and, and what they're trying to do. Um, So it seems like, you know... I kind of agree. Like Brian Crescente, kind of nailed it on the head for me where he, he said, you know, you guys should maybe think about doing this as a service as opposed to just doing the physical boxes. We know how much it costs to come out with with new with new hardware. We know how much it's going to cost to do the R&D and push all these things out when you could do what everyone has been clamoring for you to do and just give us the games. Just give us the games. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of ask and go around the table. Lee, what do you, what do you think about the, the idea of uh, Nintendo just going for more the service route as opposed to the console route.
0: Well, you know, I I got to say, it sounds like kind of a, it sounds like a salient proposition because honestly, if Nintendo's got to get out of the hardware business, eventually everyone is going to have right. to, you know, if, you know, increasingly our products and services are on networks and on downloads and not, you know, and our multi-platform, you know, most the games are in an interesting transition right now. and. We don't know if Nintendo is going to be able to sell another generation of consoles, but you know, we also laughed a lot when they introduced the Wii and the, you know, and the three, you know, we didn't think anyone would buy a Wii. We were like, who's going to get the wacky <laughs> Nintendo fitness device? But they did. So I never count Nintendo out from being able to surprise people with new hardware that they then would want to buy. But um, yeah, Nintendo. I mean, I think all. Uh, console companies are in a weird position but Nintendo in particular in that currently its games are are more much its game brands are much more valuable than its hardware and it is far behind other um, home platforms in terms of uh, its network network products and services because its desire to be family friendly has meant that it's not easy to connect and download and to buy things online the way that it is on other platforms so yeah I I don't know I see the argument but um, you know without a crystal ball I think it remains to be seen Mm. (laughs) Cop out. <laughs> <laughs> uh Cicero,
1: what do you what do you think?
2: <laughs> well, Lee just said, uh, without a crystal ball, um, all you gotta do is shout out your boy. Uh I am Stubby Stan, the great stupnosticator. I have all crystal balls. So I can lend you I all can right. lend you one. Um <laughs> you know, so I, I was dubious after the Wii U came out, I was dubious that Nintendo would even waste the money in investing in a new console. I thought that the the Wii U would be the last actual physical console from from Nintendo. Um, I don't know that the NX will will be uh, a service. Uh, you know, obviously Brian. You know, Brian is hypothesizing that and and, and makes a, a great point about doing so, and and, and then expands it out uh, to to Microsoft and Sony to say that they should also do the same. And I think that um for all intents and purposes that he is correct i don't think that nintendo will <laughs> make theirs a service i think they will come out with a console but i am dubious as to whether sony or microsoft will come out with a a console um in the, in the way that we understand them now today um maybe they come out with a controller um, with a dongle or or something something to that effect that allows us to to play their games you know via via streaming some type of streaming service and the only thing that becomes proprietary is the dongle and or the you know the 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 controllers that you use for for the systems um, but I, I, yeah I just don't know that Nintendo will be bold enough to Come out and say, "Oh yeah! By the way, this NX thing—you just go to you know wherever, um, and and now you have access to it." Um, they are known for being bold, but that's 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 a leap even a little too far even for them in my eyes. Reef, what did
1: you? What do you I, oh, I think I'm you sorry. You right. what,
2: what was that, Lee?
0: Oh, I was just nodding along. Oh, okay. oh <laughs> okay. Lee
2: was Lee was saying that I'm right. Look at that!
0: Right,
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, that sounded that sounded sensible to yes. me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Reef. What do you think?
0: Um,
3: I think that this would be a very tough thing to do for any of the three companies, um, specifically Nintendo. I think even more so because I think more than the other companies, Nintendo's main franchises have historically been very tied into the hardware sure. that they come out on mm-hmm. like they're you know it's often said that their hardware is basically used as a launch you know like they develop the software specifically for the like like they make hardware decisions based on the software that they want right. to make for it now that has the you know negative effect of s- screwing over third parties right. <laughs> um you know um but i th- I think that Nintendo, because they're... I mean, obviously, it's still expensive to create a console. But in their case, you know, they make money on their consoles. I mean, I know on the Wii U, I think, is their first console that they lose money on each purchase, but they make it off of one game, right? So they're basically still making money on their consoles. I think Microsoft and Sony, this... this idea would be a little more suitable to them since it takes them such a long time to recoup that investment. But they're also huge multi-conglomerate electronics companies that I think like to sell boxes and right. products. Right. Like that's kind of like what they are outside of the gaming business. And because like Nintendo is really only games. I mean, I know they have like a, right. Nintendo well, are toy company. stuff now. Um, yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I I think because they have the least investment in, you know, sort of the hardware, like they typically don't go for, you know, the cutting edge specs. Um, I think they can keep making consoles, um, and I think it would probably be smart of them to keep making consoles. Mm-hmm. What I do think um, should happen is, you know, and a lot of people have t- touched on this, is sort of like a hybridization between their portable and home console Environments, I do think that if they had something where, like, you did have a box, and it could be, you know, a small streaming box or like whatever that connected to your TV had the, you know, updated hardware to do the upscaling to like a 1080 and that kind of stuff, but also be able to integrate that in with their um, with their portable systems to be able to take games on the go, um, that would be kind of a service but it wouldn't be a service that's like completely getting rid of of the hardware in general um so i do think that they do need to focus on you know on like making their stuff uh, uh, available on more things which they are with the dna stuff and mobile games and all that Um, but i do think that they you know still need that console in place but it do need to be kind of that that like hybrid thing and yeah like microsoft and sony i think you know I mean, they just take so long to make money on these consoles that this would probably work better for them if they weren't so like you know like we have to sell right. boxes because because we're sony right. we're electronics well, that's, yeah. that's what that's you what know, that's what people are used to is. also is is
2: the boxes you know that's that's what comes along with it
3: yeah. so right but but I mean you know when I read this though I was thinking i mean like you think about how Microsoft has like transitioned from you know really selling these huge boxes of office to office 365 right. having a completely right. online option right. right and and like the same thing w- 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 with a windows like there's very few people i know that actually bought the disk right. of windows they just pay for it and download it so you know it's it's not out of the realm of possibility um i just think that you know just you just kind of need the the cpu power locally to be able to deliver the kind of experiences that, um, you know, that people are used yeah. to. So, Good point.
0: I think it's going to be a while as well before the bandwidth available to stream at the quality that we're used to right. uh, exists. Um, there was like, you know, on live and several right. streaming services that attempted to uh, come out, you know, a few years ago. It's just not there yet. It, people will not tolerate even a flicker of lag right. and the bandwidth is not. If we all hold ready. our
1: hands and we all look yeah. to the sky, we will all get Google fiber at the same there, time. There it It'll is. Happen. Yes. 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 <laughs> It'll all happen. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And yeah. And, and, and that's, uh, that that's a good point because like Nintendo would have to spend so much money upgrading their internet infrastructure which is just not not great at this point that that would probably even be right. just putting out console. consoles. <laughs> Do you
0: remember when there yeah. were Nintendo hotspots at McDonald's? Yes, yep. yes. Yep. <laughs> Is that yeah. still a thing? I remember, like, uh, I got a DS and I didn't, I fully, I didn't, you know, it was so new that I didn't even fully yeah. understand why I was supposed to take my Nintendo my DS to McDonald's no. and what would happen. No. But I went and sat on the hotspot, and no one was on the Picto
3: yeah. chat <laughs> no, 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 Thank no. goodness it's, they it's, it's, uh, it, yeah Yeah. It, yeah it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, damn, I didn't, I didn't get my uh, penis drawing. <laughs> right. Basically. Um, oh my god. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, no. There, there, there are still hotspots. Uh, I think they had a deal with Boingo. So at Starbucks and oh, well, actually, I don't, I don't know Boingo about Starbucks spots. now because I think Google bought all the Starbucks stuff. But like, yeah, I can still get my street passes at McDonald's. Oh, wow. I don't even know what
1: to say to that. That's just, that's just sad. Anyway.
3: I mean, when I'm driving through the drive-through, you know, and I'm getting my Watch. my uh, McGriddle uh, for uh, breakfast, I pick McGr- up ten street pass. I think McGr- so
0: McGriddles all- are great, and if you can get a street pass in the bargain, why You're not? gonna get a right. picto chat as a new
1: Hamburglar on the way through. The drive. <laughs> hey,
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Bravo, that's, Bravo. that's what's
1: gonna happen.
4: Oh, that's so oh crazy. my yes, it is.
1: <laughs> oh my god! So, so uh, we are uh, we are almost out of time. We're, we're we're about to wrap up episode sixty-two um again we have to thank you so much lee for 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 rocking with oh, thank us Thank you so much we've had an amazing time with you if you have anything to plug if you have anything you want to share with our community anything with the, with the rest of Bracago, please here's your turn here's your time to do so
0: I just want to thank you guys very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk about um, some of my projects and some of my experiences. Uh, It was nice uh, to feel so safe talking about stuff and also to have so much fun as well. Um, Offworld.com is uh, an in-progress work that I am doing uh, to hopefully where all kinds of people can have fun just talking about games again from alternative perspectives, and I hope you guys like it.
1: Dope, 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 dope. Cicero. Uh, if you would like to share the social media business, that would be wonderful.
2: Sure, our social media business is as follows. First and foremost, our uh, minister of no finance can be found on all social media platforms at Sharif Jackson. Uh, again, don't forget uh, hashtag Gaming Looks Good at GamingLooksGood dot com and YouTube slash Sharif Jackson. Um, also, don't forget uh, the podcast that Sharif does. Most Tuesdays, Operation Cubicle (laughs) (laughs) with himself and his uh, partner, J.P. Fairfield, where they talk about uh, one topic a week from the corporate side and then flip it around and talk about it from the geeky side and add dope hip hop uh, along with that. Uh, So make sure you check that out. Um, If you want to follow us on Twitter, our great captain is at uh, at Kajakins. That's Khalif Adams. Me. I am the fumbler and stumbler of words. I am at Stubby Stan. The show is at Spawn on me. The site is at Spawn Point blog. Uh, You can uh, also don't forget Dan the Robot at Dan the Robot and uh, at ESN FM. Uh, You can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and all the great places that you find all your podcasts. Alternatively, you can go to ESN.FM slash spawn on me and find all of our shows there. Uh, Wherever you go, remember to rate and subscribe and to review and to do all of the uh, beneficial things to, to us for us so that we can help you help us help you. Um, wow. if you if you want to that was like a
1: beg inception
2: hey yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um if you want to leave us a voicemail um you can do so at speakpipe.com slash spawn on me if you want to send us an email feedback at the spawnpointblog.com and uh, buy our merch at redbubble slash shops I think it is slash spawn hyphen on hyphen me
1: Sweet baby Jesus. That's a lot of stuff. We have have all the social media. You can always find us. Um, I just want to say really quickly before we let you go, Lee, I was at GDC this year. Um, I wanted to thank you and the rest of the folks who put on One Reason to Be Again this year. Uh, We didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I wanted to say I was in the room when you, you guys had your discussion and the empty chair segment that you had was... Profound in in many ways because, again, we talk about um, how we're trying to be allies in the space. We talk about the privileges that we all have as individuals and hearing the things that that the women are going through in the space, that that women are going through in the space, uh, in in, in the gaming sphere, both broke my heart and also kind of made me hopeful that we are all pushing together to see something new and different and better happen. We shouldn't be worrying about... Uh, a, a parody in the same ways that that we have, we need to be worrying about folks being acknowledged for who they are, what they do, and how they are being seen in the world. So, I wanted to thank you again for for, for doing that, putting that out and in, out into the world, and, and, and making making our space better. Because I'm sure you get a lot of uh, arguments on both sides, but you know the the right side of that is you're you're doing you're doing good work, and you're and you're making dope things happen. Thank, so thank so you. thank you for doing that.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, the panel is really important to us, and I have to acknowledge um, Brenda Romero, uh, who's my co-organizer. It was her um, idea to put on the empty chair uh, portion, and uh, we gathered some uh, perspectives from women in uh, in a private group. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that she was able to do that, and, and I'm glad so many people were receptive uh, this year. It's been a tough year, but the the presence and support of so many people made us feel really really hopeful. So thank you for saying word,
2: that. Word word. <laughs> See last thoughts. Um, you know. Nothing other than, Lee. You're you're the fucking shit. You really are. Um, Thank you.
0: Thank you. You're you're. I like you guys a lot yeah, too. You're you're <laughs>
2: even more. You're even more awesome than than your talks led me to believe in. And I thought that they were.
0: I was really afraid of uh, messing something up or be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: Not yeah, at so, all. So <laughs> I, I hope that you, you know, you really enjoyed your, your time here um, and that the next time you're, you're flying by that you you will be more than happy to come and visit Bricago again
0: absolutely would love to. It's been a wonderful time. Thank you so, so much for having me and for the kind words and support for my work. It means the world. Um, yeah, this was a great time. Dope, dope,
1: dope. Uh, so this has been episode 62 of the Spawn on Me podcast. We want to say thank you guys for listening to us this week and every week and we will say peace. peace. peace.